We'll be reading from the book of Acts chapter 16. Book of Acts chapter 16, getting in verse 6. Also, I want to mention this. Uh, earlier this week, of course, the, the junior teams did well. We were talking about the Emerson Athletics. I believe the, uh, the girls team, the junior girls team, won the, uh, the conference and district. Boys are runner-up. Some good ball. I felt pretty good about myself this week. But I could say I went to the gym two or three nights this week. Now, you can think what you want to about it, but I did go to the gym. Uh, now, it was the other gym for other purposes, but it sounds good, doesn't it? So, good New Year's resolution. I was in the gym a couple of nights this week, but, uh, uh, of course, we, uh, of course, congratulate all of our students, all the athletics, and uh, uh, appreciate, of course, those who work with them. It was a good week all the way around. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, we asked for some help with the hospitality house and some things that came up with hosting the tournament. Uh, and Emerson has a name for uh, being able to host a good tournament because of the volunteer effort uh, for all the folks that are on board there. This morning, we're going to look at mission work. We're going to learn about mission work. And the best place to learn about mission work, there's really two places. First of all, in the Bible. Of course, that's obvious. We're going to turn here and look at the Bible. But also, the best way to learn about mission work is to learn about it in the company of successful missionaries. And today we're going to do both. We're going to look in the Bible at the lives of successful missionaries and learn something about mission work. Now, it's important for us to learn this because mission work is not something that happened a long time ago in other places done by other people. Mission work is something that is happening today and other people are not responsible for that. We are responsible for that. And the question is, where do we find our place in what we call mission work? And it involves a lot more than we think it does. And so let's investigate in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. We were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work and that we are a part of that work. Help each of us to truly be a part of the work and find our place in your plan. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. We're looking at mission work. Of course, we're preparing for a special offering next week for World Mission Sunday. This offering will go to the general fund, and you see some things in the bulletin about what this fund takes care of. Uh, it helps jumpstart some things. It helps train some people. We have staff that coordinate and provide support for our missionaries when they're on the field. There are times where they have problems and issues that arise. They need to call somebody, and sometimes they need some extra help and some extra support. The general fund takes care of a lot of things. That is just one part of mission work when it comes to our church, but it is an important part. So I'm asking you to be praying about it and ask for you to consider giving a special offering next week for that general fund. But I want us to look at mission work and for us to not just get the idea that mission work is something that we just pay attention to when we have a visiting missionary or a special missions day. The first thing we notice here is the driving force behind mission work. The driving force behind mission work is not the missions department. The driving force behind all mission work, God's direction. In verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. And listen to this, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. We talk about this as the Macedonian call. But I want to say this. This is not God's call to Paul to do mission work. And a lot of times we talk about the Macedonian call as when somebody hears the call of God to surrender their life to special mission work, they have heard the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call was not God calling Paul to the mission work. That had already been done a long time ago. If we are waiting to hear a Macedonian call to get involved in mission work, we'll be waiting a long time because there's no need to ask if God wants us in mission work. That has already been established a long time ago. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 9 and 10, we know it well in what we call the Great Commission. And hear the words of Jesus at the closing verses of the book of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go therefore. Aha, there's the call. God's not calling me to go anywhere. I don't feel that. Well, if you look at the original language, Jesus says, as you go, you make disciples. He didn't say, go is not the big part of this instruction. He said, as you go, because we're all going somewhere. They think, I don't have anywhere I need to go. Well, you're leaving here today. You're going somewhere. I'm even leaving here today. Now, I'm not going as far as you are. I live right on the premises, but I'm leaving here. I'm leaving this building. As I go, wherever I go, I have a call to do what we call mission work, and that is to reach people with the gospel for Christ. Well, I don't know where I'm going to be going this week. Well, the first place we go is to our homes. Then we go to work. Then we go to school. Then we go all over the place. We're going somewhere. As you go, we are all called to be a part of reaching the world with the gospel 
message. The question is not to ask if we're called to do mission work. The question to ask is what and where. Now, Paul received a special call, a special direction to go to Macedonia. And, and as we talk to missionaries who have a special calling for service, they'll receive a special burden for a particular part of the world or a particular people group. And God will lead them. So if you don't have the call to go to a particular people group or to go to a particular region, then what we could use by process of elimination, our call is to be here. And we just ask what God wants us to do. Now, the instrument of choice when it comes to God using an instrument to organize and to promote mission work is the church. Now, we're talking about a, a, a group of guys that are on the move. Where did all this start? Well, back up to chapter 15, verse 22. All the disciples are having a special meeting in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they have to send a special letter of a message to a church called Antioch that was hundreds of miles away. And in verse 22, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church, look at this, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas who was also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. So these guys were sent to Antioch. And if you'll chip, uh, skip down to verse 35, Paul and Barnabas also remain in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. Why were they at Antioch? The church sent them to Antioch. The church was the instrument that sent them to Antioch. As we continue, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. So we understand he mentioned some other churches. How they get to those churches in the first place? Back up to chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we see where the church sent a missionary team, and they went all around and preached the word to these churches. And now Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and see what's going on there. We know the story. Barnabas, uh, of course, wanted to take John Mark. Paul said it was a bad idea because John Mark had left them a little bit early on. So Paul took Silas as a missionary team. That's the team that we're introduced to in verse uh, six of chapter 16. But here's what we want to realize, and don't miss this. There are a lot of missionary organizations all over the world, and there are a lot of organizations all over the world that do a lot of good, a lot of evangelistic organizations. But the foundational organization behind mission work is the church. Now, these other organizations, they're fine, but they're not a replacement. And the church is God's chosen instrument to reach the world. So we talk about mission work. Now we've established that we're part of mission work, all of us. It's just a matter of what part of mission work we are. And our part of mission work should be involved and include a work 
within the local church. So we've established that all of that, now all of a sudden, we're more involved with mission work than we thought we were. Now let's look at two aspects of mission work. First of all, the willingness to leave our comfort zone. Now we kind of see where Paul and his company have landed in a town named Philippi. Philippi is over 2,300 miles from Jerusalem where Paul originated. Paul was a Hebrew. Paul's headquarters were at Jerusalem. That wasn't his hometown, but that's where he lived at the time. And we understand that not only was he a long way from home when it came to geographic area, he was a long way from home when it came to the kind of people he was with. Now, Paul says specifically, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He, is a, he was a card-carrying member of the Sanhedrin. You couldn't get to be any more Jewish than the Apostle Paul. Now he is at Philippi. Philippi was not Jewish at all. He had crossed over and left about any and all Jewish influences. How do we know that? Well, you do a lot of homework. Up till now, we would read about the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul would go to town. First thing he would do is find the synagogue. There's where he would start because he'd get a group of people up. And it didn't matter whether it was out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, in the other parts of the Roman Empire, he would go to a synagogue, find a ready audience, and explain to them how the Old Testament leads us into the gospel of the coming of Jesus Christ. Introduce Jesus to him. He comes to this town, and there's no mention of a synagogue. That tells us this town didn't have hardly any Jewish people in there. In order to have a synagogue, you had to have at least 10 Jewish men in the town. Now, a little bit of research tells us this town was about 15,000 people at the time. There was not 10 Jewish men. In fact, there was not one Jewish man in town. How do we know that? They went to the riverside where the women met there to pray. And it was customary when Jewish people were in a town, they did not have a place to meet that they would meet by the riverside because there was a custom where they had to wash their hands before they prayed and so forth. And that was all the way back to Babylonian captivity. In the book of Psalms, it talks about the people who met by the rivers and wept by the rivers and hung their harps in the willows. So we understand this is a long-standing tradition. So the only Jewish people he had in town were a small group of women, no Jewish men. Now here's the apostle Paul who came up comfortable and surrounded and saturated by Jewish influence. And he is as far away from that as you could get. He is as far away from everything he's comfortable with. That is, of course, the ultimate dedication to mission work. And my experience with such missionaries, very humbling. All of us are familiar, of course, with Jeremy Hambrice. Jeremy Hambrice and his wife and his, I think, three daughters, all of them golden-haired, nice, blonde people, and he's over there in Papua New Guinea, and all these dark-skinned, dark-haired people, as far away from this influence you could get over there. Uh, years ago, I was with James Cruz. You talk about learning how to do mission work by hanging around with missionaries. Well, I had flown up to Portland area and the Washington area 30 years ago. And I was snooping around. I was snooping around because I thought that may be where the Lord was leading me. And that was while I was still at Gurdon. And I was looking for my place because it was pretty obvious Gurdon wasn't it. And God was leading me somewhere else. So I flew up there 
And I, and I spent the week with James Cruz, and we went to different areas, and I watched what he did as a church planner in Portland, Oregon. He opened the door to a closet, and that was his mission's headquarter. On that door was a map of the city, and on that map was different pins of every area of the city that he had been knocking on doors, just getting to know people and, and had a system of knocking on doors and getting to know people and learning where God wanted him to plant a church. He finally found the area where God wanted him to plant the church. This area was not zoned for a church building. And so my experience was him with on my 30th birthday. On my 30th birthday, I spent it all day long at a zoning hearing in the Multnomah County Courthouse. And I'm thinking, I could think of a lot better things to do on my birthday than sit in a zoning hearing. Because we weren't first on the docket. And we sat, and we sat, and we sat, and different people, and finally it was his turn. But that's what he did. And it was a lot of tedious work, a lot of lonely work, a lot of work that, that, that happened between services. And that church was established, and it became a powerhouse in that region for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, of course, had been with David Dixon on several trips. I've been with David Dixon to the villages of Honduras. Of course, all of us know, of course, the work with the Ricardo Ramirez that the Lady Sunday School class sponsored. And I've been with David Dixon to a village that was so remote, at different times of the, the year, the road ended at the lagoon. And you had to wade across the lagoon to get to the village. There was no other way to get to the village. And if you'd be in the village and, and, and all these places were so remote, but he, of course, reached these villages as far away from any comfort that you would want and reached the Garifuna people, a whole different language that he learned to be able to reach these people. A little bit later on, we were not in the villages of Honduras. We were in the slums of Belize City, the slums. Now, some of you have heard about Belize City. You've seen some pictures of Belize City, of the snorkeling and the emerald blue waters and the tropical islands and the tourist destination. Oh, no, no, we weren't there. We were at the slum. We were in the slums. That's where the Garifuna people were. Did you know, of course, our church bought a piece of property and enabled a Garifuna congregation to take hold and grow there. Our church was instrumental in something that happened over there. Paul Hurem. Paul Hurem and I, I hobnobbed with him over in uh, Ghana, West Africa. Let me tell you about Ghana, West Africa. There are some places in the world, if you go to Europe and so forth, we can fit in and look just like the locals. That's not happened in Ghana, West Africa. We went to Kamasi. Kamasi is a town of probably a couple of million at least. A couple of million people in the town of Kamasi. We were the only white guys in town. 
I mean, we're talking about walking down the street, and I don't know where these people were coming or where these people were going. You've seen the streets of New York where the sidewalks are five deep and just throngs of people. We were there. We were there, and we were the only white guys there. Now, when you come to, to doing mission work, you say, we well, got to fit in with the locals. I wasn't there three hours, and I started acting just like the locals. Let me explain. We were walking down the street, and there were two white guys over there on the other side. We're just like the locals. I stopped the stairs. At them. I wonder, what are the white guys doing here? I mean, it caught their eye. And, and of course, way out of comfort zone because we're not any familiar territory. We can't blend in with the folks. I remember going to Honduras when we had the construction crew. We had some of us went down to Honduras with the construction crew. Now, the people of Honduras looks kind of like we do, except for one thing. Up there in the the village of Santa Rosa de Copan, where we were, all the folks up there in the mountains are a little bit short folks. Now, we kind of blend in if we had a little suntan, a little bit short folks. Let me tell you who was with us. Uh, I was there. Nathan went along with us. He was taller than me at the time. Dwayne was there. And you remember big Mitch McCarty? He was with us. Well, we would walk back and forth to the hotel, caused a traffic jam because it looked like the land of the giants had come to Santa Rosa. We were huge compared to them. They were all about five foot nothing tall. We didn't blend in, way out of the comfort zone. But let me tell you, I'm proud to be associated with the men who left their comfort zone, brought their family out of a comfort zone, and went to the uttermost parts of the world geographically and culturally, and those missionaries not only am I proud to be associated with them, but they're worthy of our support. They're worthy of whatever we can do over here to help them out over there. No, we may not be sent, but as the church, we can send and help those that are sent do their work. But now there's a, another aspect of mission work. We look at the willingness to leave our comfort zone and go over there. But I want us to look at another aspect that we don't want to forget. And it all has to do with grammar. Now, kids, you think that English, you never need to know English grammar. But English grammar tells us an important lesson that we don't want to miss. We notice as we start our scripture in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now, after they had gone to Mysia and tried to go into Bithynia, the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now look in verse 10. After he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Did anybody notice the difference? Pronouns. You thought pronouns were just... Well, if you don't know what a pronoun is, you really need to go back and, and have you. The pronoun is the they and the them... And then in verse 10, it's the we. What does that tell us? It tells us that the person who wrote this joined them at Troas. Pay attention to the details. They did this, they did that, they did this. And after the vision, we did this. We went here, we went there. The person who wrote this started traveling along with them. Who wrote this book? Well, scholars tell us, of course, 
A man by the name of Luke wrote this book. Now, how do we know that? If you look at the first part of the gospel of Luke, he mentions a a guy named Theophilus. If you look at the introduction to Acts, he mentions another, uh, uh, the same guy. It's another introduction, and he's addressing this book to Theophilus. So we know the same person wrote these two books. Well, how do we know that it was Luke? Because it's important for us to know who wrote this book. There's an obscure verse of Scripture in, in chapter 20, verse 13. And it looks like just kind of an out-of-the-way, by-the-way piece of Scripture that there would not be a whole lot going on with this detail. But in chapter 20, verse 13, Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Now, It says we did this and we did that, but there's an ancient text. One of the earliest texts in verse 14 reads it this way. But I, Luke, and those who were on board with me took him on board. So there's an ancient text that Luke's name is mentioned. But even if it isn't mentioned, how do we know for sure that that he wrote this? Well, here's how we know. When Luke wrote his gospel... And when Luke wrote this book, they were all rolled up in scrolls. And even though the name may not have been in the text, the name was on the outside. And when Luke wrote these two books, they just weren't buried in obscurity to show up 2,000 years later. When they were circulated around, there were people around that knew Luke. They knew it was from him because they had personal knowledge of him. They knew he was the author. So when these books are identified as the author, we know that Luke wrote this book. Now that's a pretty significant when we look at the point that I'm going to make. Because the writer of this book, Luke, as we know by the evidence, was familiar with Philippi. In verse 12, he talks about Philippi being the foremost city of that part of Macedonia and a colony. Now, he was familiar with that. Now, would he have learned that in just a few days? Well, have to understand that scholars said, aha, we found a mistake in the Bible. Because the biggest town of that area was Amphipolis. So, would Luke have made a mistake? Absolutely not. He said, yeah, Amphipolis may have been the bigger town, but Philippi was the most important town. The wording of the original language indicates a familiar knowledge of that town. And he would say, Philippi is the most important town. It's like, you know, those of us like to say Magnolia is a friendly little suburb of Emerson. You know, it's a suburb. We say, yeah, that may be a bigger town, but the most important town. Your hometown is the most important town, and he knew it was a colony. He had intimate knowledge of the town because, again... Pronouns, articles. He said we sat by the river, not a river. A river would be if you just go to town where there's a river there. Luke said the river. Now, another piece of information is that history reveals there was a big, famous medical school at Philippi. Now, there's the what. Now we say the so what. 
The so what is found in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, as Paul calls Luke the beloved physician. Luke was a medical doctor who obviously had gone to school at Philippi and obviously was familiar with Philippi. And when they came to Philippi, he wasn't in a town a long way from home, away from his comfort zone. Luke was in his comfort zone. He was a local boy doing mission work in his local environment. And you see, there's the next point. I did all that to come to the point, second, the third point. Willingness to work in our comfort zone is the most important aspect of mission work. Because before we go out of our comfort zone, we better be in practice working in our comfort zone. In fact, the point could be made, if we're not willing to work in our comfort zone, it's highly unlikely we'll ever, ever go somewhere else and work for the cause of Christ. Luke stayed in his comfort zone. Again, how do we find all that out? If you skip over to the first verse of chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis. Hmm. We came to Philippi. They left Philippi. What's that tell us? Luke stayed in Philippi. He didn't travel with them. Now he had, he'd catch up with them later on. Because you see we mentioned. So you see how important details are in grammar? Luke was familiar with Philippi, teamed up with this group at Troas, came to Philippi, and then stayed at Philippi for a while and worked. Our immediate and available mission field is our most effective mission field. You know, of course, our billboard down as you go into Emerson, reaching the world and starting where? Here. Our most effective mission field is right here. And you see, we sponsor mission work all over the world. But you know, as a church, we have our own local mission partners. Financially, our church sponsors the ABS Center up at uh, SAU. Now, our own Hometown American students benefit from this. And a lot of leaders in church work found their start being leaders at the ABS. Not only that, of course, but we know there are foreign students that come and go in the ABS. But let me tell you this. The majority of the folks that are touched are local kids. We have another student ministry that's just starting up. Fellowship of Christian Athletes had their first meeting at Emerson a couple of weeks ago. I think there's about 50 or 60 kids. They'll be meeting again in March. And we're excited about that local mission field. I can't think of a better mission field than the American student. And we're in partners with them and we'll have other opportunities to partner up with them. We, of course, are partners with the Hannah Pregnancy Resource Center. We are partners with the Compassion Foundation, which is the Abuse and Battered Women's Shelter. We're partners with the homeless shelter. All those things are right here. We, of course, are one of the leading churches, along with uh, the Methodist Church at Emerson, the Backpack Ministry. That's a student feeding program. The reason we're on board pretty much with that is we are the sponsoring organization for the Emerson Food Bank. 
The Harvest Regional Food Bank over in Texarkana provides the food for the, the food bank in Emerson. But the sponsoring organization on paper that allows all this to happen is our church. It's very local, what we're doing. And then, of course, you don't have to have organized efforts like these organizations. We have our own mission work going on here at the church. We have the care team. And this, this is an informal group of people that send cards every month to folks who are shut in. And that's an important thing. There's another uh, group of, of guys that may fluctuate from time to time, and you hear about it just ever so often, that will build wheelchair, wheelchair ramps for folks who, who don't have them. Sometimes it involves people in our church. Most of the time it involves people who don't come to church here. And we provide the materials and the labor to take care of a wheelchair ramp for folks who need them. Sometimes it's amputees in Waldo. It was that little girl that got uh, so broken up in a crash down here a couple of years ago. Recently, there was a wheelchair ramp made for, for her. And let me tell you, this has caught the eye of people outside of our church. I got a, a, a letter this week from Davis Chemical Services in Marshall, Texas. And I got the envelope, and I thought it may have been a solicitation for business because of our water treatment plant and all. And I thought, I don't know, I don't know what this is all about. So I opened it up. I'm glad I didn't just toss it. So I opened it up, and there's a letter to the church, and here's a paragraph from that letter. Your church has long been an example of what God can do when you truly have a servant's heart. You have been an inspiration with all that you do for those around you. We can see the blessings that God has poured out on your church and pray they continue. Wow. Somebody in Marshall, Texas, notice what we do. What's the connection here? Well, this is the son-in-law of David and Carolyn Pry, who had seen what we do with the wheelchair ramp and said, I'm impressed that a church would do something like that. And he also, I'm thankful for this, he sent us a nice offering in honor of David so that we can continue helping people with these wheelchair ramps. And you see, this is just a spontaneous gesture of love. When we take a love offering after the service, did you know that's mission work? Sure it is. That's not a mission organization. It's not a mission project. We're not going way off over there. When we have a fish fry fundraiser for somebody in need, when we have an auction for somebody in need, that's what we do. And don't ever forget this. I like that. This is not original with me, but I'll take it and I'll run with it. Just because you live in a small town does not mean you live small lives. We live big lives here. And people want to know, what do you do in such a small town? Well, we organize auctions and fundraisers and fish fries for cancer patients and accident victims. What do you do in the big town? Oh, I forget, you got a bowling alley. Oh, excuse me, you got stuff to do. That's what we do, and that's what we're known about. Now, I said earlier, I'm proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with people like Paul Hureman, David Dixon, and James Cruz, but the crew of people... I really am proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with that are involved in mission work, this mission team. This is the mission team that gets things done. And I'm proud to be a part of a church that's known for that kind of a heart for missions. So what is it all about? It's all about 
sharing the love of Jesus in many different ways, but especially, don't lose this, sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the lost. It comes within the walls of this church with the programs we have, but most of it means as you go, share the love of Jesus. Because without the love of Jesus, we are totally hopeless. And you are the reason, if you're here without the love of Christ, that all this is done. Jesus loves the world so much, he put all this into place to reach you with the love of Christ. So if you don't know Christ, Jesus Christ came and lived and died so you could have an eternity with him and a life full of purpose. If you do know Christ, it's not a matter of if we're called to do the work of reaching the world. It's where we are and what we're to do. And as you see, there's a lot of different things to do. As we prepare for an invitation on him, you might say, man, I've never thought about it that way. I always thought a mission work is something that other people did somewhere other place. No, we do it, and we do it here. And it may involve churchy things, but it may involve spontaneous acts of love and giving. It may involve practical things that you can do with your hand. It may involve just sharing the love of Jesus with somebody and giving them a hug, going to the hospital, going to the nursing home, sending a card. Everything we can do. But as you go, don't forget what we are all about. And let me tell you this. Again, I am proud to stand shoulder to shoulder with you in dedication to reaching the world for Christ. But let us make sure that we are dedicated to do just that. If you need to say, man, I'm just going to come up and pray for missionaries. I'm going to come up and pray. I'm going to pray for God to show me where. We know that we are called. Where? I'm going to pray for God to show me what. And I guarantee you, if you give God that blank check and say, I'll do whatever, he'll let you know what it is he wants you to do as we stand and sing. Number 111.